Welcome to Pop-Up Submissions Live. We had a great book club meeting last night. It was everything you want a book club to be and more. So I thought you'd appreciate a heads up about the next month's book club meeting right away. Meeting last night was everything you want a book club to be and more. So I thought you'd appreciate a heads up about the next month's wow. book club meeting right away. Yeah, shocking, isn't it, really? Um, it's The Air Affair by Jasper Ford, yeah, who's been described as Douglas Adams, Lewis Carroll, Anthony Burgess and George Orwell all rolled into one. It's quite a sushi roll, isn't it? I think you owe it to yourself to be there on the 14th of October. More details at club.litopia.com. Let's say hello now to today's panel. They were a crime-fighting duo, and now they're a crime-writing duo. <coughs> Please welcome back Bob and Carol Bridgestock. Hi, everyone. Hiya. And he's one of our most distinguished narrators on the show, whose august presence on the panel today sadly deprives the room formerly known as Genius of his company there. Yeah, welcome back, John Duffy. So we're locked, we're loaded, let's pull the trigger on the first submission. And here we go. It's from Jack, it's Jack Burns. Are you with us, Jack? Let us know on YouTube. If you are, give us a wave. It's a dark thriller chiller and it's called Knife Edge. Knife Edge. Hmm. What to appeal to Bob and Carol, I'm thinking. So here is Jack's blurb, make me beautiful. Ella Fallon makes the wish every night. She and her lover, Ed Leeming, are brilliant but ugly. <laughs> and their <laughs> lives are made miserable at California's most exclusive college by Scott Stockton, leader of the beautiful elite and heir to an industrial multinational. If only Ella and Ed could be transformed into beautiful people. If only they could take over Scott's life and fortune. Enter Thomas Starts, futuristic plastic surgeon who makes their dreams come true and seals Scott's fate. Wow. Uh, I'm in black and white today because of uh, last week's uh, appalling situation with my eyes that couldn't be controlled. So the powers <laughs> of me have told me this week that it's black and white for you this week. I'm very sorry about that. And if there are any more mistakes this week, apparently I'm going to be completely pixelated. Um, all About Jack originally went to art school, busked all over the south of France. Sounds fascinating. A book or two in that, I think. Um, then worked in a host of jobs. I was sought after. I was a sought after film extra. In Dublin, hmm. the Lion in Winter, oh yeah, got very drunk with Peter O'Toole. A lot of people have Peter O'Toole stories, don't they? Uh, the Blue Max and countless Carlsberg ads. When I settled down, I became a compulsive writer without thought of publication except in my midnight dreams. Would like to be priority, but funds are tricky at the moment. Okay, not quite sure what that means, but I do know we have an amazing reading for you today from Bev. Knife Edge by Jack Burns, read by Bev. Not again, not again. Ella hunched her shoulders, buried her head into her chest. The jibes still hurt, despite being almost a daily occurrence. 
ugly, 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 bitch, bitch, bitch. Ella half ran, stumbling through the haze of cheap perfume and sniggering looks. She hated Winfield, and she hated the way she looked. Trouble was, the snide and smart insults still stung, despite the barrier of snooty indifference she had created to shield herself from the empty-headed scumbags whose parents had more money than breeding. She hurried in through the entrance to the residential block, ran up the stairs to the first floor, sniffing back a tear she desperately did not want to shed. Finally, she reached her room and once inside threw her books onto her bed and decided to take herself in hand. She would not be beaten. She would show them all. She regarded the wall-length mirror with trepidation and a kind of magnetic, masochistic fascination. She just had to look. She had no choice. The compulsion to examine and criticise her appearance had long been a form of addiction, a ceremonial ritual she went through every morning. So were the familiar feelings of loathing and depression that welled up inside her as she stared back at the image in the mirror. Starting as a cold lump in her stomach, they gradually insinuated themselves into her mind until they were displayed almost as graphically and painfully as the face in the reflection. Ella Fallon was no beauty, that was for sure. If brains, intellect and intelligence could be captured in a face, then she could have been a glamorous centrefold, a rarer beauty even. There was no doubt about that. The fact was most people would have simply called her plain, and that was because her slightly oversized, bulbous nose, distorted top lip and mousy, straggly hair gave her the appearance of a rejected rag doll. Bone structure. It was all about bone structure. Ella had tried to convince herself that her cheekbones were sculpted, leading to a perfect mouth and a strong chin. As it was, she was convinced that she was ugly. She hated the word, yet she forced herself to confront it every morning. She needed to generate the necessary emotional charge before opening her soul in the ancient magic ritual. With a self-deprecating snort, Ella turned from the intense contemplation of her features, gazed around her tidy and understated room, picked up a white candle and inserted it into a silver holder. This she placed reverently on a small lace handkerchief that lay on her bedside table in front of the mirror. Then she took a small packet of salt, which she kept just for this purpose, and sprinkled a handful around the base of the candle. She knelt, lit the candle, and felt a charge of electricity run through her as the big wish began to build. Ella stared at her reflection, which wavered in the flickering light of the candle. In her eyes an aura had appeared around her, an angelic halo of beauty through which the vision of an enchanting and haunting face stared back. Deep within her she focused upon the wish with an intensity born of long practice. She summoned the very essence of her being to the forefront of her mind, her thoughts burning like living embryos in the purified candle flame. Make me beautiful, she muttered. Make me beautiful, make me beautiful. 
Ella intoned the mantra till it reverberated through her soul. She was shaking with emotion at the end when she could chant no longer. Slowly she gathered her thoughts together, carefully blew out the candle and noticed with the usual sinking feeling that she looked exactly the same as before. She sighed. She realised no amount of chanting or salt sprinkling or candle flickering was going to alter her physiognomy. She just hoped and prayed for some kind of miracle or for someone who would think she was beautiful as she was. Thank you, Bev. Got us off to a great start there. Um, let's have a look at the Genius Room, a uh, room formerly known as Genius, for which we don't quite have a, uh, a name yet. I think that there's an idea brewing, actually, but you have to join us next week to see what that is. Matt says, very creepy blurb. I would think uh, could use a bit of polish, but nice idea. Elliot Thomas says, feels like too much has been revealed in the blurb. Um, Claire says, blurb feels a little dystopian in tone. Yeah, I think very much so. Suitable title, says Eva. Blurb sounds fun. Pamela Jo says, beautifully elite. What a great title, actually. Beautifully elite will tell us more about the plot. Title a bit unclear. Uh, Vagamund says, can't, uh, our narrator, can't summon up sympathy for people who aren't beautiful but want to be. <laughs> um, and uh, Mike says, yeah, title is an original fits, though. Uh, good opening, says Eva L.A. Thomas. Take herself in hand. I know. I, I, I was wondering about that. Um, Claire says, if this is a world where beauty is valued above all, I would get this more. And James says, why don't I care about this person? Perhaps the way she's behaving. Um, and uh, starting the character, looking in the mirror as a cliche, but works here. Um, uh, if she were that bothered, she would do something about her hair. <laughs> Fix your hair. <laughs> And uh, James says, I could listen to Bev read all day, as could we all. Matt says, this feels like backstory. Strong idea, but get us to the beginning of the end. And Pamela Jo says, I don't think this philosophy is going to sell to the age group of the uh, main character. And Claire says, is this YA? I don't think it is. doesn't explicitly say that. Let's see what our wonderful Bob and Carol think. Uh, shall I go first? Why not? Uh, I think Jack can really write. Um, his descriptions are fantastic, but unfortunately I think it's too much. I think there's too much at the beginning. I think it's overtelling um, but, and it's very descriptive. I think if we could have a little bit of conversation in here, we could have a little bit of uh, emotion uh, yeah. rather than just what she's thinking. You know, yeah. it's like maybe she throws something or maybe she you know, smashes something that makes me feel as though she's feeling um, yeah, yeah. Di different than just telling me about it, yeah. Um, I didn't mind the title, the blurb I thought was fine. Um, I just thought it, it became very repetitive. We've got somebody looking in a mirror and it just kept on and on what other descriptions you want to use. A bit yeah. like, you know, mirror, mirror on the wall, etc. But for me, it needed to just bite a bit more. 700 mm. words, Jack, to, to, to uh, get people's attention. Uh, you started all right, but then as, as time went on for me, it just switched me off. It just mm. And it's so easy to overwrite, isn't it? I do that all the time. In fact, I'm ed editing at the moment. And oh, really? it's so hard, Jack. I really, really understand how you feel because you don't want to get rid of it because you think that's really great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, ha we have to do that, don't we? 
Updating there. Um, Vagabond says, I kind of want to tell her to get over herself. <laughs> uh, Claire says, If this is an alternate world and YA, I'm not sure it is YA actually, we're kind of assuming that. I get it. If not, this isn't the right place to start, nor the right tone. Hannah says, Controversial in this era that promotes inclusivity. What is beautiful anyway? I think that's right. Um, get us to the story, says Matt. Strong idea. Eva says, teen girls will relate to this. So many want to be more beautiful. Um, and Vagabond says, look, I like the writing. It's just the subject matter I find too uninviting. Do we really want to keep pushing that? Physical beauty is what matters. Um, PC Frontier says, I think too much text has been spent on the main character's thoughts on ugliness. Uh, where is the world? Uh, ugliness consisted of bulbous to me. I couldn't get over that word bulbous, actually. I was, I was sniggering away like that. WC Freelance. Exactly. Uh, Ellie Tom says, what age demographic is this aimed at? We don't really know unless Jack is with us and he can give us a little info. And PJ says, it's kind of hard to care about the characters as pointless as this. Vagabond and I are on the side of the ones snarking. No plastic surgeon can fix the brainless yeah give it to them wow <laughs> yeah um i'm with i'm totally with in bob's boat on this one i thought you know we had 700 words of just somebody um accepting the fact that they were weren't pretty um it just went on we got the we got the idea right from the from the get-go as they say that you know this person had low self-esteem in, ter in terms of how they looked. Yeah. So for it to be still going on, you know, at the very end seemed a bit, a bit, you know, wist wistful with the words. And also, I, I'm, I'm also thought I, when I, when I heard it read, I thought, is this YA? Because I, if it's a dark thriller, that seems to indicate to me it's for maybe a, a slightly older readership. But yeah. would somebody in that demographic actually go and, and do something like this? And would they? It, it says would they every night? You know perform some ritual which is doomed to failure not unless this futuristic guy is all of a sudden summoned up perhaps that might make sense I, 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 but oh. i couldn't work out was it was it, it was it veering towards fantasy or was it not i wasn't too sure about that no. and, and just for clarity i just wonder if there's any sort of irishness behind this because the the phrase take yourself in hand <laughs> it yes. means catch yourself on <laughs> let's discuss that thing, why you know, not yes wait, well, to, well, take, to take oneself in hand is to actually sort of be aware of what one is doing and change one's behaviour. Okay. So not, you know, if you do it literally, of course, it's a totally different meaning. Yes, but, I've heard um, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so who said that? Uh, so I, I think, you know, it's one of those things that... Um, it's one of those things that, for me, I thought the writing was good. I, I, thought, I thought the writing was good, but I just think it needs a real good edit. And, and, and we need to get, you know, we need to establish that, that she's not happy with how she looks. But then, as somebody, James, as somebody said in, in, the, in the chat room, um, you know, let's get to the story. Because so far, we've yeah. established one thing and one thing only. Yeah, exactly. L.A. Thomas says, also, there had been no thought about how she could improve. Getting her eyebrows threaded. Oh, I don't know about that. Always looks awfully painful, actually. Uh, but I don't know how it happens. Getting her lips filled, plumped, etc. Wow. Main character doesn't sound like her age group. Matt says, spend this much time in, in front of a mirror, and it better be magic. Um, and Ellie Thomas is going on with beauty suggestions. <laughs> Fake 10, etc. <laughs> 
really going on in this, haven't you? Uh, James says, mirror, mirror on the wall. The vagabond says, yes, Matt, mirror, mirror on the wall. Watch me go out on the pool, right? And James, <laughs> James says, I'm getting a makeover after the show. Oh, goodness gracious. Let's look at the numbers. You got a 57, Jack, a solid 57, I think. Um, have I got anything else to tell you? Uh, I, do, I think readers uh, could identify, actually, with this, because we've all, to a greater or lesser extent, got issues, haven't we, with self-image, like me. I'm in black and white this week. Um, but I, the, the thing that I rather wondered, actually, is she kind of realised at the end of this little extract that, you know, but she's kind of beautiful as she was. I don't, I don't know where you're going with that, really. It just feels like it's it's the wrong place to start. I think it's the wrong place to start. Anyway, you've um, you've had a review from the from the panel. You've got the benefits of the live sentiment analysis from the room formerly known as Genius. Hopefully, you're very happy. And um, what I want to do is just to touch base a little nod to our wonderful panellists today, Bob and Carol. I think everybody knows about Bob and Carol and Happy Valley we and The Beast Must Die and all that stuff. I'm not going to do a Joe Biden, don't worry. No. <laughs> 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 what, are you, what are you up to at the moment, guys? It's like looking in the mirror. Yeah, it's like looking in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's the nose. It's the <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we're we're actually we're, we're I'm editing at the moment. Uh, Bob's right. writing, but I'm editing, um, and we've got a couple of events coming up. Um, but yeah, we're being a bit boring at the moment. We're uh, yeah, we're, we've got down to it, and we're we're writing. Well, we're, we moved. We're told you we moved house earlier in the year, and our agent's coming oh, to right. see us next month, so we better yeah. <laughs> get some work done. What you got? You got your agent calling. Boring. Your agent's coming down yeah. to see you next month. Yes, yeah. so you've got a deadline. Yeah. So, no, no, well, no. Well, we don't know. Well, we, we don't know till we see him. He we, might be going to sack us all. We've, we've, <laughs> moved, we've moved house three times in five years, so I, I think he's just making sure where he can find us. But, yes. Uh, no, we're still we're still busy. We're still writing, but moving house, you know, takes it. So, <laughs> yeah, so well, I'm trying to move house at the moment, it. actually. So yeah, don't don't oh, get me started. It's, it's difficult. So, it's, but, yeah. We're it's settled again now. Yeah. It's awful in the moment. If you see yes. some movement behind you. Yeah, if you see some movement behind us, it's our retriever. Go <laughs> our golden retriever's just walking. Might oh. see something furry just behind We love it. Yeah. We love it when pets come come front and centre, as as they as they should do, actually. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, we, we'll catch up a, a little bit more, talk about... So many things to talk about with you, Uh Police work and hostage negotiation, all kinds of exciting things like that. But let's have a look at our second submission of the day. It's called The Giant Outside. It's an illustrated chapter book. That's interesting. And it's from Max. Let me tell you all about it. Uh, this is the blurb. Dak, an 11-year-old boy is trapped inside of his home. Outside, a 50-foot giant and a mob of adults adults wait for him to emerge and engage in a one-sided fight with giant inside it's grim outside it's a veritable tailgate party and who's that oddly familiar man with the flying mustache who's leading the party outside and controlling the giant Dax's sister, the hero Kraa, must rush to the library and enlist the help of Merlin the Dogman. Brian, the librarian, and more as... Oh, 
See, you've been elided there. I hate it when that happens. But it's very clear on the website, actually, it's very clear. It will cut you off after a predetermined number of words. And that's what's happened there. Sorry about that. Let's uh, find out about you, Max. I'm a tutor for MGYA. Uh, age students have been I've been so for by 10 years this book is crafted for their enjoyment so you know them really well that's that's always interesting actually when you do get a submission from somebody who knows the the demographic and the, and the audience that well you tend to take it more seriously for their humor for their attention span and for their own oft underestimated wisdom Right. Well, someone who's never underestimated because she always delivers a first-class reading is Mal. The Giant Outside. Written by Max. Read by Mel. One. Dak was hungry, though the menu never changed. He got up and left his bare bedroom. He thumped down the stairs to the living room, and once there, he gingerly lifted a corner of the curtain, slowly, 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 and then he peeked outside. The giant was still there. Dak's eyes darted around. The giant's massive feet were stationed on either side of the cul-de-sac. Some low-hanging clouds concealed his eyes. Forty feet below, there was a mob of adults, dolts, surrounding the giant. The crowd, Dak noticed, was bigger than yesterday's. There were around 50 dolts there now. One of the dolts, an ancient neighbor Dak recognized from a long time ago, turned and saw him. The old man's eyes bugged out and he pointed a gnarled finger at Dak. On cue, the giant's roar boomed through the cul-de-sac, shaking Dak's window frame. The roar filled the air and echoed off all the houses, even reaching the misty blue mountains surrounding them. Dozens of heads swiveled around, and all of them faced Dak. As if an invisible puppeteer were pulling their strings, the dolts simultaneously pointed their fingers towards Dak and babbled curses and the word meat at him. Dak gaped. He couldn't look away. He was stuck in a slow-motion nightmare. An eerily familiar mustachioed man at the head of the crowd made eye contact with Dak, and then the man's moustache began to spin round and round like a hairy pinwheel. Faster and faster it spun until it was a brown fuzzy blur emitting a high-pitched unceasing screech. Dak tried to step back from the vibrating window. The energy of the crowd was electric. His hair stood up on his goose-pimpled neck. The giant's bass bellow continued, an eardrum-shattering vibration that thumped its way into Dak's skull. Everyone sensed that all this energy was amplified by that whirling mustache, now buzzing around the man's head in a tight, aggressive circle. As Dak stumbled backwards, dropping the corner of the curtain, he moaned softly and plopped down on the floor, shaking his shaggy-haired head. The giant's ululating continued, loud as a subway train, as did the high-pitched whine of that mustache on that one doll's face. Oh, Dak murmured into the rug, and his eyes moved rapidly behind closed eyelids. He listened to the crowd's chants, but couldn't decipher their words. Usually it was something about fight and meat and sacrifice, and sometimes lemonade. That low, earth-shaking groan was the giant's contribution. Dak stood and shuffled into the kitchen. He grabbed a clammy fistful of peppermint patties from the table, shoved the cookies at his mouth, and then realized his mistake. He'd forgotten to open his mouth, and now he had smashed minty goodness all over his face. 
Oh, well, he philosophized. There are worse problems to have. The man's face with its buzzsaw mustache flashed into his mind's eye as the giant's menacing base continued outside. Two. Just see boy. All big one, happy, all support, all want, love me, grab, crush, eat, destroy, and then another, after, then another, after, then another, after. Don't, can't put hand in house, too dangerous, too rude, wait. Why, no, why, head hurt, brain hurt, wait. Go crush, kill him, go crush, kill him. Love me, feed, eat, kill, love, feed, drink, lemonade, next, kill, 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 why, no, why? Buzz, 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 in head, buzz, 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 what do, say, I, do, no, why, buzz, wait, wait and look, wait. Three. Doc went to the kitchen sink and bent over. He used the dribbling tap water to clean the cookie off his face, then went back to the peppermint patty portal a hole in the floor beside the refrigerator. He snatched a few of the infinitely regenerating peppermint patties, opened his mouth, and mushed in the cookies. He counted them. One, two, three, four, five. A proper amount for breakfast. He chewed up the cookies and swallowed, and the mush inched its way down his throat. Once I'm done eating these, he announced to the refrigerator, I'll go find a good way to talk the giant and the dolts out of this stupid fight. The refrigerator nodded, but Dak sensed its skepticism. Maybe presenting the giant his power of friendship talk wouldn't go over so well. Thank you, Mel. I was listening so hard, I nearly forgot to press that button. Let's see what the genii, uh, people formerly known as genii, are saying. Um, and where do we pick it up, actually? Lex. Lex is saying, yikes. The blurb was doing well uh, before the giant ate it, and I wanted to eat it. <laughs> okay. He's got into it, isn't he? That's good. Claire says, doesn't read as a blurb for the target age group. One or two other people say that too. Hannah says that. Um, good title, says Eva. Sounds fun, says James. Blurb needs a bit of focus. Ali Thomas, genuine question. Would the word veritable be used as a children's blurb? I don't think it would. Pamela Joe says, sorry, this is like trying to find the story in an explosion. It's a blurb, but it doesn't tell us what we need to know. Um, fab reading mail, absolutely was, wasn't it, as well? Blurb can only work in a confusion of fun, says Eva. Blurb didn't seem appropriate for the age group, says Vagabond, which is kind of surprising, actually, but I agree. I like the title, says Jan. Blurb could end right after they tell us the setup. Ali Thomas says format. Yeah, that for, we need to talk about the format in a minute. Um, I like the puppeteer. Imagery, says Claire Hannes, says writing style suits. The six to nine um, a target age, that would be the writing of the um, the main text rather than blurb, I think. Vagabond says, get the feeling this would work better in first-person point of view for this age group and story style. Claire says, Max can write. And Matt, sa Matt says, I wonder if the pace works for the age group. It's a little small. L.A. Thomas, ululating? <laughs> I would struggle with that in an adult book. <laughs> first reactions, Johnny, did it bring out your inner child? Um, yes and no. I, I think we're at a bit of a disadvantage here, obviously, because uh, this is obviously to be accompanied by pictures. So I think reading the text, I, I, I'm assuming that's the case anyway, reading the text on its own is a bit sort of disjointing, especially when we get inside the giant's head. He sounds a bit, you know, sounds like he could do with the course of therapy, the poor child. It's not, you know, he can, he's, <laughs> yeah. 
Jan is confused, but then, you know, Jan may well be confused. Um, I, I also picked up on a couple of big words, but, but not, not too many, because I, I think this is for, what, five to ten-year-olds. I always get mixed up with the, with the actual yeah. um, markers, but something at something that age, ululating was one, philosophizing was another, you know, one or two things like that. But it seems like fun, and with, with a good art package with it, it might well work. Uh-huh. Um, uh, you know, and, that, and that's where, where we're at a bit of a disadvantage, and hence the formatting. I mean, I don't think we can sort of knock anything off for formatting because I, I guess it's meant to have pictures because it does say um, it does say that at the start, doesn't it? In the in the overview you read, yeah. um, there's some funny bits. I like I like the skeptical fridge that nodded. Um, that was quite good. There was a couple of nice little jokes in there as well, which I thought worked quite well. And I, I, I quite liked it. It's obviously it's not quite I'm not quite the uh, the demographic for it, but I could see it working if it was if it was nicely packaged up and, and good with good artwork and stuff. Thank you very much, Johnny. Succinct as always. Hannah says no chapter books are written. No chapter books are usually written in the third person. The younger end of this age group don't always manage to identify. With a first-person point of view. How interesting. I didn't know that. So learn something every day, especially from Anna. Claire says, this is quite dark and creepy. Ali Thomas says, can't get a feel for the ages as aimed at, but it's very well written. Vagabond says, he'd forgotten to open his mouth. Really? Are you sure that works? (laughs) Alex writes down, smashed minty goodness as a brand name. Matt says, I like what's (laughs) happening, but there are a couple of side trips. The cookies, for instance, but maybe pictures fix this. I don't know. Uh, Jan says, quote, and sometimes lemonade made me LOL. I like this. What's going on? Says Claire. Um, L.A. Thomas says, can you talk about killing in, in middle grade? And actually, Hannah says, yeah, Mel. Uh, chapter book is slightly younger on the whole. Um, Pamela Joe, are the graphic novels for the Sage group? Hannah, Hannah knows everything about this. Um, I enjoyed that, says LA. Vagabond says, I'm very undecided about this. Uh, would I buy it for my grandkids? I'm generally not so sure. And PC Frontier says, is a character uh, being forced to fight good... Is that the dog? Uh, being forced to, to fight no, no. good story matter. Maybe too many long words for a younger age group. I wonder about that. I wonder about that. Bob and Carol. No, Dylan's actually listening. He's quite uh, enthralled. Oh, he likes it. Oh, he's passed the Dylan test. Great. He's nearly sleepy. I think think it probably was the 50-foot giant that quietened him. Yeah, that's right. You know, buzzing. And I love love the moustache. I mean, who who can have a moustache like that? Exactly. Uh, But, yeah, quite quite amusing, quite funny. Um, I think John said it. With pictures, it's different. And I think if pictures are involved... How much wording do you need? And for me, you'd want to see both. So it's got a difficult job uh, yeah. today, as Max, you know, just having the words. But there's something about it um, for the age group. But 50 foot is a giant. There's no <laughs> yeah. nothing about that. Yeah, it's and definitely it, big. It definitely giant. And it, yes. And it, and it leaves you buzzing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, like like uh, John said, I think we were just at a disadvantage because obviously we can't see the pictures, and I think everybody hearing it couldn't. But I mean, you can definitely write. Um, and I think the the giant was just saying too much words. I'd rather the giant be quite. Um, do giants waffle on like that? Well, the giants I know, Carl, don't. <laughs> 
So the, 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 that, that say, giants waffling on a bit. You know? Their actions speak louder than words, Carol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know giants waffled on as much. I but you, you won't know any, you're too young. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, the guy can definitely write. Can I just say that the yeah. uh, score sheet isn't working properly? Um, I, yeah. What we put down on the score sheet didn't it's uh, not... didn't reflect on when it's come in, so I don't okay. know if that needs so looking at. Sorry, Pete. Sorry, not sorry, Max. For... It's it's just that I'm not going to have a job anymore next week. Um, <laughs> so let me sorry. see what yeah. I can do. All Thanks, right. Carol. Yeah. So this is submission she's good at, number she's good at big we, lo we love you, Pete. Oh, me, me <laughs> she's good at finding fault. So, and it was John's I, foot mobile, I'll grass him up. So, <laughs> so what I've got, guys, <laughs> let me just, I can put this in manually, okay? So what I've got for the title is three, is that right? Three? Yeah, um, three, three, four, three. I've got three, three, four, three. Yeah, that's right. So that yeah. is coming through, okay? So that's actually through now, okay? Yeah. yeah. And they, three the, three the translates to was, 60. Ah, yeah. right, and the one before so, was four, four, three, three. The, yeah, uh, four, four, three. Code. That's correct. Yeah. Three, three. Yeah. Oh, look, yeah, that's Jan, great. Thank you Jan very much. Jan loves you. you. Jan loves you. Oh, I, I think too. when I, when I inevitably get the sack from this, which I think is going to happen soon because we have had a couple of cock ups already, <laughs> and they gave my my last yeah. warning. I think that you two are probably going to take out a hosting app. I think you might be chosen actually <laughs> because everyone loves you. Let's look at the numbers. No, we couldn't step in your shoes. Oh, bless you. You got a 62 there, Max. Let me just say, uh, shall I just tell you a little bit about? Oh, that's so nice. If you if you keep doing that, I may. If you wish very hard, I may be back next week, and I may be back in colour. So, but you'll have to wish so hard. I don't, I think so hard. You may not be able to wish that hard. Um, let me tell you oh, about. A <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm trying to focus, Max. Okay. Um, so, uh, a picture books, right? So, people often just dash off words um, and send them and say, This will make a good picture book. They're never going to get anywhere. Um, so, there are, there are, there are two, two ways in, and it's really hard to get a picture book going, especially if you haven't got any, any form or contacts with publishers and like that. So the, the first way, and possibly the slightly harder of the two ways, is to actually have some amazing pictures. I mean, seriously good. Um, it's, it's very rare that, that I don't think I've ever seen any unsolicited submissions with amazing pictures, actually. I've seen, I've seen them with good pictures. It's not good enough, actually. The pictures, you know, if you know a world-class artist who you can persuade to work on it, then that's the sort of standard that's needed, I'm afraid. It's a really, really high bar um, to go for. So if you don't, if, if you can't send in, you know, one or two, just a couple, you don't need to send the whole book, but just one or two sample illustrations that are blow your socks off extraordinary, then the other way to do this is to is to go in with an idea that's a complete knockout and a publisher is going to say, this is an amazing idea, I've never seen it done before and we're going to spend some serious money. And these books do cost a lot, actually, in production, as you can imagine. That's why it's really important from a publisher's point of view that it's got an international market. We're not just looking for domestic sales because the sort of money they have to put into production um, is so high that it's, they've got to be able to sell Japanese rights and 
South American and everything like that. So that's another factor to to think about. Um, it's got to be a really strong winning idea. Now, as far as I can see, what you're doing here is going into a tiny little subgenre that is very um, uh, commercially successful. Um, it's the giant area, right? BFG, uh, Julie Donaldson, and all, I mean there are dozens of giant books <coughs> in this in this area going for this kind of reader. Um, and that's good because it proves the market, but it also says you've got to have something that's really strong and really original. I'm not getting that at the moment, which is why I marked the bang down a little bit, but I hope those thoughts are useful. And off we go to submission number three. Now, I misread this, actually. I thought, I thought it was... Uh, replanted, actually. I thought it was a, a gardener's manual. It's not. <laughs> it's another cock-up from Cox. <gasps> How many of this show? I can't believe it. I'm, I'm just going wrong left, right and centre today. <gasps> Replaneted. It's called Replaneted. Yeah, it's from Eric. QR code there too, which means Eric's got a website he would like you to go to. It's science fiction romance. That's nice. And this is Eric's blurb. A female chauffeur is propositioned for marriage by the noble grandson of her former boss. Having no choice but to accept or succumb to poverty, she travels to the planetary colony he owns and begins adapting to a serious life upgrade. But when loved ones start succumbing to tragedy, Con coinciding with the arrival of her husband's arrogant cousin, she must stand up for what she wants before others decide for her. Right, okay. Interesting, isn't it? Got two succumbings in there. I'm not sure about two succumbings in a blurb, but um, oh, if it works for you, it works for me. Uh, let's... Second succumbing? It is. <laughs> All right. This is why we love Johnny. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, about Eric. Eric Juno is a software engineer and novelist on his lunch breaks. Uh, in 2016, his first novel, Merm 8, that's M-E-R-M, Digit 8, uh, was published by E-Treasures. He lives in, was born in, and refuses to leave Minnesota. Wow. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> Um, you can find him talking about movies, video games, and Disney princesses at his website. You've just got that one. Where he details his journey to become a capital A author. Hmm. Well, I, I, that's ambition. And anything we can do to help, we will do, such as this rather amazing reading from Emily. Replanted by Eric. Read by Emily. Part 1. Chapter 1. The man approaching me had bulldog jowls and a grey uniform that made his body look like a vacuum-wrapped biscuit dough. He pointed a hot dog finger at me. Hey woman, you can't park that shuttlecraft here. Move your butt. I hadn't been parked at the spaceport for three minutes before Sausage Fingers decided that he was king of the canopy cul-de-sac. I'm waiting for, like hell you are. Move your tuckus or I'll hand you your ass. I'm Lady Camilla Nakamura Latois's chauffeur. I'm picking her up here. Oh yeah? You got a very dock that says that? Uh, no, but she should be here shortly. Her shuttle docked 30 minutes ago. I held up my pad with a live feed of the shuttle's information. It even said which passengers had departed. No dock, you meant? No dock king. Lady Camilla's expecting me. I can't. Sausage fingers whistled at an auto patroller drifting across the pathway. 
Yo, over here. As the auto patroller rotated in place, he muttered under his breath, Lady Camilla, my aunt's fanny. Why was he so obsessed with butts? Auto patrollers looked like blocky robots, but had dumb mobile units with two-way cameras. All the cops can stay in their stations and remote into one of these units when needed. They don't put their bodies at risk on the street, and the robot takes all the abuse. A tiny camera sits in the telescoping antenna on the head, and the cop's face appears in its stomach. A dry female voice monotoned, Are you initiating a dialogue with a station reinforcement officer? Yes, said Sausage Fingers. Instantly, the screen showed a pudgy cop's face wearing a dark, reflective AR lenses. I couldn't tell if he was outside or not. Hey, Dougley, Sausage Fingers said. Good to see you're still on the beat. Ernius, he nodded. What's the problem? This lady's not moving. She parked a shuttle in the middle of the entryway. Other crafts gotta land here, like shipping and cabs. I'm not right in front of the door, I said, holding my arms out. Is that so? The auto patroller, Dougley, rotated on its grav disc to face me. Can I have your name? Zara Ravine. I'm the chauffeur for Lady Camilla. She's coming back from Luna Gamma too today and... That bird's been down for 45 minutes, Ernius said to Dougley. Anyone who was on that flight is long gone. Dougley added on. And you're telling me Lady Camilla uses a driver? She doesn't have an autonomous vehicle. I'm sure she has some, but she doesn't use them. You can see my contract if you want. Dougley, the not-quite-a-robot, spun a few degrees, then backed up to view the vehicle. Well, I believe it's not driverless. What is it? Five, seven decades old? Seven, I said. Maybe I looked out. Maybe I got a cop who liked vintage vehicles. I wouldn't pick up my son's spider crabs in that thing, Ernius, Sausage Fingers, Mac, whoever said. I bet she's planning to dump it. The robot's head perked up. An extendable auxiliary camera rose like a periscope to give a higher and wider view. I waved at the cop to get his attention. If you would just give me a chance to prove... Lady, Miss Ravine, I don't care what you've got to prove. You can't land a shuttlecraft in a non-designated zone. I should charge you for misrepresenting your position. That's fraud. But I'm just going to cite you for the violation. My eyes swelled. Oh no, 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 please. Violations and fines came out of my account, not Lady Camilla's. I was contracted by her, not an employee. That meant the vehicle didn't become Nakamura Latoy property. But it meant everything was in my name, including fines. And the people on Greenwich weren't stingy about handing them out. Their taxes paid for the lifestyle. Even the cheapest of them was so steep I wouldn't be able to eat for a month. Please, 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 I can't afford it, I pleaded. Then ask your lady for a loan, Ernius sneered. I could hear something churning inside the autocop, something old and grindy spinning up to deliver my ticket information. Thank you, Emily. As Barbara says, Emily's spitting the words out today. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Uh, the room formerly known as Genius is saying, Vagabond. I read Replanted uh, first two. Quite a few people did do that, actually. So maybe consider a new title. It's easy to read it wrong. It is. It's too easy. It's not just me. Uh, James says, give us the main character's name in the blurb. Um, uh, LA says, uh, this is picking the blurb apart. Little choice or no choice. Um, Pamela Jo says, rewrite that first sentence of the blurb for clarity. And this is a good blurb. I need a card to keep track of the family relations. Lex says, mixed feelings on the blurb. Not my genre, but nice to us of marrying to wealth and drama in sci-fi setting. Needs reworking. Good luck! Um, Matt says, we may use the word succumb once every couple of years. Maybe one is more than enough. And Pamela says, oh, Johnny. And James says, oh, no, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
typo on the blurb says Barbara or am I blurry today possibly both actually I don't know uh, not intriguing enough title now I think I think we we've all agree on that lots of food analogies in the opening says Claire and um, Pamela says humorous voice that has a nice hook straight off good opening now there is this issue uh, Claire says Fanny doesn't mean but in the UK, he doesn't, all right? So you just need to be aware of that. Good characterization. Quickly says Lex, we've all known sausage fingers. I don't make the rules, I just grind people under them. Yeah. And Matt says, I would think sausages play a merger role in this story from the opening. And Pamela says, Fanny, oh, matron. Yeah, so we we going down a little uh, cul-de-sac there. Uh, the scene's going on too long, says Claire. Eve says, busy scenes, good omen. James says, yeah, move the story along. And Hannah says, opening with the dialogue was fine, but it's going on and on without me having any real idea what's going on. Proceed with the story. All right. Bone Carol. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. <laughs> Proceed with the story. Um yeah, um, what did I write down here? I, I do love the dialogue. I love the opening with the dialogue. I love yeah. the characterisation. And the other thing I loved was the, um, you know, the authenticity. It sounded really authentic. It sounded yeah. like this guy knows what goes on. And, and we, we obviously, um, we're consultants for authenticity in police procedure. And, and so when something happens like this, it's quite refreshing and it sounded quite funny and it sounded quite, you know, uh, unique in a way. And that's what I really liked about it. Was it meant to? I don't know, but I liked it. Uh, I, I didn't particularly like it. I, I mean, I wrote down here futuristic traffic wardens and traffic yeah. wardens can take a lot, a lot from this that in yeah. the future their jobs will be safe. Yeah. Uh, and it just worried me. Uh, and I just thought to myself, well, it's about, you know, how long does it take to park this, you know, space mobile? Literally seconds. And let's yeah. face it, there ain't going to be any white lines up there or double yellow lines. Yeah. Uh, and to me, it just it just didn't sit with me at all. Yeah. You've just, no, no imagination. I've got lots of imagination. <laughs> but, well, well gonna, all right. How do we feel about traffic wardens? How do we feel about traffic wardens? Johnny, what do you think? Love them. All right. Couldn't eat more than one, though. <laughs> Um, they're just doing their job they're just doing their job they are just doing their job so we can kind of identify with that but it's not the the most powerful opening in the world is it really because basically it is all about parking fines um to begin with also is it maybe i'm just dating myself johnny but it did give me a slight lady penelope feel thunderbirds feel yeah, a, a little bit like that. And I, I just like the sort of, I did like the depiction of the dialogue. I like the quick fireness of it. And I think Emily caught that well. But it reminds me mm. very much of New Yorkese. You know, you expected one to say, better bing, better bang, or something like that <laughs> at the end of every sentence. I just like the, I just like the wet flick between the two. But as others have said, uh, too much of a good thing. And, and I think it did really, once we established that she was possibly going to get a ticket, they needed to move it on. Yeah. But, but I, and I too was another misreader of the title. I, I thought replanted as well. I can see why it is replanted now. If you tap back to the, to the blurb, um, but it had a nice atmosphere to it, and and, and I liked I liked the kind of uh, juxtaposition, if you will, getting all highfalutin about it of the sort of space airport and the typical modern um, Earth airport as well was quite a nice touch. I, I enjoyed it. I, I, it had a nice little sort of bit of buzz on it for me, and I quite enjoyed it. Good. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, what else do I want to say about this? Um, 
Yeah, sorry, let me just cut uh, back to the uh, jazz room. So, sorry, are you are you having a little bit of a domestic situation here? <laughs> it's right. He said to me, have you voted? I've done it. I've done it. Are you we sure you have? We won't talk about Carol's Park. We won't talk about Carol's Park. But the dialogue was quick. The dialogue was good. And I, we hadn't seen the, a lot of dialogue in the previous No, two. we haven't. You know, so, yeah. so this one. But the idea with dialogue is that it's also helpful to move, move things, things forward. forward yeah. right. so we're still in, yeah. we're still yeah. in the parking bay, yeah, which, which were frustrating yeah. for me. You know, yeah. Well, we'll we'll get into um, Carol's parking in a Sorry, minute Eric. if if, <laughs> if that exhibition is boring, maybe. Ah, um, <laughs> uh, Claire says I like the tone of this, and the author can write, but it's a bit repetitive, and that's really, I think, the message. Um, Eva just says that too. Dialogue is the author's strength. Uh, Vagabond, good writing. I feel this could be all condensed to two paragraphs. It absolutely could, Eric, as well, actually. I mean, I think maybe in your mind what you were going for was uh, the sort of Douglas Adams thing. Look, it's the future. And they still have parking uh, tickets and stuff like that. But, you know, that's a throwaway line. It's it's not, not the beginning of your book. Um, great scene, says Pamela Jo, but it needs to be leaner with some pace. Yeah. Really enjoyed that. Says L.A. Thomas, PC Frontier. Eric's introduced the main character and included some world building. It's clear that this is sci-fi, so that's all good. Perhaps a bit less time on parking. Oh, I think that's several messages, isn't it? Uh, Matt says, if we're going to spend so much time with the parking car, I would expect it to blow up and destroy the scene. Lex <laughs> <laughs> uh, says, I wonder if the chauffeur angle plays into world building later. As in, is it a status symbol to have money to spend on a warm body to drive you around instead of an automated machine? Of course, we're all on the verge of that now with Teslas. Um, Pamela Jess says, I think a writer just needs to realise how long 700 words is. Uh, and that's why this is such a good test. Why it's always good to listen to our opening pages. Uh, and Lex says, he's, he's done a, a, a mashup here. Also, will there be a loud giant who has body issues and doubts their own beauty? <laughs> well, we can but hope. Can but hope. I think that probably puts you into the lead, actually, at 63, doesn't it? Let's see. It does, yes. Your hair's breadth into, uh, into the lead at this stage, actually. But we have one more submission for this one. That's just doubled our YouTube audience, actually, hasn't it? Yes, in fact... Leave a comment for today's authors on YouTube. They want to know what you think. They totally do. They totally do. And of course, if you're not in the Genius Room, that is only open to Latopians. You've got the next best thing. You can comment on YouTube and it'll be there forever. Well, as long as YouTube's around. Um, this is from Matt. His historical crime fiction. That's always interesting. Always interesting. And the title is The Devils of Cardona. The Devils of Cardona. Do you like that title? Does it stick in your mind? Is it original? Is it different? I want to know. This is Matt's blurb. In March 1584, the priest of a small town in Aragon, near the French border, is murdered in his own church. Most of the town's inhabitants are Moriscos, former Muslims who converted to Catholicism. Anxious to avert a violent backlash on the eve of a royal visit, an advisor to King Philip II appoints local magistrate Bernardo de Mendoza 
to investigate. Mendoza is drawn into a complex and dangerous world in which greed, fanaticism and state policy overlap and ethnic religious civil war looms. I'm an author, journalist and podcaster who has published uh, six non-fiction books and two novels. I've often written about Spanish history, and my two novels reflect that. The Devils of Cardona was originally published in the US, but it's never been in the UK. Okay, so as an agent, I want to know how many did it sell? Um, I originally envisaged it as part of a series involving the same characters, in addition to real historical figures such as Cervantes and Lope de Vega. I've already written the sequel, and even though I'm currently working on a non-fiction book about Charles Darwin and the Patagonian Indians, that's very interesting. Hmm. I would love to see the Mendoza series find a publisher in the UK. So very specific. So we want to know how many is it sold, actually. Uh, the characters and setting went down well in the US. Okay, how many is it sold? <laughs> and I'm sure they would find an appreciative readership here in the UK. All right, well, let's hope so. We'll find out in a minute after this rather fantastic reading from Jeff. The Devils of Cordona by Matt, read by Jeff. In the early hours of March 20, 1584, Padre Juan Panales awoke from a drunken stupor to find his servant girl, Innes, lying naked beside him. It was the morning after the day of the beast, and the skinny little body that had briefly aroused him during the previous night's facilities now took up so much room that he prodded her awake with his elbow, nearly pushing her out of the narrow bed. Inez knew what was expected of her. She crawled sleepily out from under the blankets and slipped on her dress and tied back her hair in the murky half-light before padding from the room to prepare his breakfast. The priest rolled over and squeezed his eyes shut in a vain attempt to ignore his parched tongue and throbbing temples. Finally, he abandoned the effort and hoisted his heavy body upright. He sat on the edge of the bed in his nightshirt, with his large feet resting on the cold tile floor, and grimaced at the acrid smell of sex, wine and stale beer, and the sight of the sagging purse on the bedside table. He could not remember how much he had lost, or whether he had lost it on cards or dice, but he knew that it had been a bad night. He told himself that there would be other games and better nights as he went out into the privy to piss and curse the shrill cock that led him again to stray for the path of virtue. He rinsed it clean and sponged his face and body before the eating the bread, egg and ham that Innes had left him. After washing the food down with a glass of brandy, he changed into his vestments, first the white orb, then the amiss draped over his shoulders, followed by a long black cape. Even when he had acquired at least the appearance of piety, the voice of his conscience told him that he was not fit to serve God or administer the holiest of sacraments. But in all his years in these mountains, he had never failed to celebrate the Eucharist, no matter what he had done the night before. Outside, the first red slats of light were spreading above the high peaks and the tower massive that separated God's chosen people from their enemies. He heard the stream flowing down into the side of the ravine, louder than usual as the result of the melting snows and the first morning birds that he neither could name nor cared to name. Even though it was late March, his panting breath still gave off a cloud of steam as he stepped out into the courtyard 
adjoining the church. His sandals squeaking on the hard stony ground with a heavy tread that anyone in the village could have recognized and which many of them had a reason to fear and detest. Father Penales knew that his parishioners did not love him, but he had long since ceased to feel any remorse for the fact that a man of a cloth could be the object of fear and loathing. In another place, he may have felt different, not here in Belamar de Sierra. Its inhabitants were people from another world and time, savages and heretics who showed more affection for the black-faced performer dressed up as a bear that they dragged through the streets on the same day every year than they would ever feel for the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Even now, in the penultimate decade of the 16th century, they continued to believe that this pagan superstition could expurge all the years accumulated evil from the town. But as he had told them, often enough, that evil was inside them. It was something they carried in their blood that passed down through their mother's milk and handed down from one generation to the next. Such people could never be saved, not even by the holy apostles themselves, and since they could never willingly embrace the faith, then even the fact that they feared him was a kind of achievement. Thank you very much, Jeff. And straight over to the uh, Latopians. I think we might call them the Latopians, which is nothing more than accurate. Uh, do you like the title? L.A. Thomas does. Hannah does. Uh, Pamela Joe likes the title and blurb. Pick, I'd pick it up. Vagabond says blurb has too much unnecessary detail, e.g. near the French border. Uh, Lex, historical crime fiction with ethnic and religious implications. is a very specific audience. It is, yeah. Interesting title, says Eva. So I think you're selling the title here. James says, like the title. Blurb a wee bit more focus, please, on main character. Um, L.A. Thomas says, good blurb, maybe swap structure around, start with Bernardo de Mendoza. Yeah, I was thinking about that too, main character. is appointed. Competent blurb, says Eva Jan, says, great title. Blurb a bit too historical for me. Hannah, blurb's interesting. And Matt says, perhaps less detail on all the characters and a bit more story in the blurb. Pamela Joe says, Pete giving reality check. Oh, was I? Um, you can't snow on an agent. No, well, that's as far as numbers. That's right. Uh, lead with, the, with statistics, yeah, and what they cause to see to a publisher. Yeah. Um, okay, opening with a wake-up, says Matt, but there is a twist. Uh, wake-up opening again, says Vagabond. Um... Um, PJ says, except waking up with sexy naked whores. Oh, I don't, I'm not sure she was a whore. I think she'd been importuned, um, is the other cliche of waking. And James says, oh, no, not only a waking scene, but a priest and a girl. <gasps> I'm shocked. <laughs> not. Hannah says, no, waking up scene with a naked woman still sleeping. So cliche. I would already have closed the book. And I like historical fiction. Um, author does well, says Ellie Thomas, to make the priest unlikable yeah well he's going to get it isn't he i mean he's 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 going to be off really soon um eva says the immoral opening scene reflects the times <laughs> were they like that how do you know eva tell me how do you know that um matt says do we need to see the entire breakfast and vagabond says the guy getting dressed and eating isn't an interesting beginning even if it is a priest with a whore because we missed the good bits there right <laughs> jolly go for it um, 
just an everyday story of life at the parochial house. I, um, I, I don't know. It's, it's a kind of a curate's egg for me. Uh, sorry. Uh, because I think, it's, I, I think the writing is quite decent, actually, to be honest. Uh, but the story itself is, is a bit, we've been here before, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's got that sort of seedy um, cleric, you know, having his wicked way with someone and not giving a hoot about it. And we don't really hear much about where we're heading in the story. It's just a, a, a generic opening scene, which which is well written, I think. Yeah. Um, but it, it didn't really drag me in uh, as such. Um, we, we need to get more into the sort of historical part of the story, I think, rather than just get, it's a good character set up. But I think, uh, as somebody said in the genius, uh, the um, lit, yeah, 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 that, that lit, place, lit, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 the lit lounge, whatever it's called. Yeah, um, somebody said in there, it, it's one of those things that uh, we, 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 need to, we need more of the story, really. Uh, yeah. this is a nice setup, um, but. It didn't really wow me. I didn't. It didn't want me. I didn't want to pick up the book and read more of it. Really, I, I yeah. wasn't hooked from the start. Do you think does sex smell acrid to you? I mean, not necessarily really, you, but I, I don't. <laughs> I mean, it's a very personal question. I'd rather not say. Um, no, um, I, I don't. I, it's, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit sort of sensory. I thought, yeah. I prefer to think of sort of, you know, uh, a, a student's bedroom. Or so, sorry, a, a school kid's bedroom or a school yeah. boy's bedroom. You know, a yeah, teenager. Well, it depends how hard you're going at it, really, doesn't it? It's sort of, uh, well, sort it does, of, yeah. 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 Uh, right. Okay. So I think I probably have got the sack after that, but who cares? <laughs> yeah. Dragging you down with you. Yeah. <laughs> it might have done in the 1600s. Yeah, yeah, it might have done. Yeah, 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 yeah that's true. Yes. Conflagration is imminent. Yes. No, we're, no, we're fresh. <laughs> that's right, Ashley. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it could Go be for you too. In the church, though, couldn't it? Um, I love history. Um, that's my that's my um, yeah genre. I love history, uh, and obviously I love crime. Could could we actually start with the crime scene? Yes. Could we start with something? Yes. You know, um, and then work backwards a little bit. It just felt as though I love the writing. Uh, you know, this guy can obviously write really, really well. Mm. Um, I don't know. Again, we go back to could we have some authenticity in a crime scene at that time? And then, yeah, uh, the characters were great. I love the character, um, and I, like I say, I love the history. So I just, I just wanted something a little bit more. Yes. Follow that. Um, <laughs> I was disappointed. You know, I thought, I thought, you know, the devils of card owners, the title's good, the blurb seemed quite good, and I was, and the writing is capable writer, but when it came to it, I was quite disappointed with it. And hmm. the start for me wasn't anything special. I'd rather start with a dancing bear running off with a, you know, somebody dressed as a bear as, as the event of that's what hmm. happened, that was the title. Yeah. Uh, but yet, within hours, he, the priest will be dead or whatever. Yeah, you know, uh, and he needed to get into the story. We've said this. Yeah, we've said yeah. this today quite a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, you've seven hundred words to to get people benefit in there, from an edit, uh, and you need to do it. And for me, like somebody said in the genius room, I think, do we really know really know what he had for breakfast and what was left for him? <laughs> you know. Seem to get a lot for breakfast, so, actually. Let me just uh, ask you, know. you about this because you this is a situation that you, you, you both of you as novelists have as a novelist, really, because the IC Bridgestock is an amalgam. As you probably work that out by that, haven't you? 
Um, so we've got what we've got here is a fairly similar situation to one that often happens. So we've got um, we've got a completely two dimensional character who we're not really interested in at all, but we just we want to see them offed, and when they get offed. Then our main character, the detective, and that's basically what uh, Mendoza is. He's a 15th century detective, 16th century detective. He comes in and tries to to solve the murder. So that's a situation that you must have created many, many times in in the past. The um, the uh, the person who's murdered um, is not sympathetic at all. So the question is, I want to ask you, why should we care? About the person that's been murdered. Yeah. I think I think when when we write together, um, one of the things that Bob does, and I suppose the reader does really in some ways, um, he he actually finds a body. This is how we start our writing. He finds oh. a body uh, as a detective, and he writes the whole thing from start to finish as if it's a as if it's a, a police inquiry. Oh wow! Wow. Yeah. So. That's how he starts it. And then it's up to me how I then, so that's why I suppose all, all, all the books are different, but um, I, I then create the characters because the characters don't mean anything to him as a policeman. Only the main ones. Because, yeah, but if they did, well, only the police officers, obviously. But if, if they did mean anything to him, the policeman can't do his job yeah. because he gets too emotionally involved. Yeah, and yeah. is that being reflected in a writer writing mm. that part mm. whereas me picking it up from bob i try and be that person who is creating them characters that do get murdered does I that think, make sense yeah i think for me you know it's like you could you sort of said should we you know any feelings about this it's like bad on bad you know is anybody bothered about two major drug dealers shooting or you know having a shootout yeah. and one of them killing the other mm. millions yeah. of people are concerned at the end of the day, somebody's got to investigate and put it forward. But knowing innocent people are concerned, these people enter this lifestyle knowing full well that one day there'll be somebody, you know, it's like the mafia, somebody will take their place, you know, they'll be shot. Well, therefore, you've got to try and find that person that it, that is likeable, that it does involve. That's how I see it. Hmm. So, so maybe it's the person's mum or maybe it's the person's, you know, a child or whatever. Yes. You've got to find somebody and yeah, something yeah. unique that is yeah. that you, we do care about as but an you can author, like the as villain. a reader. You can like the villain, you know, because if the villain's killing yeah. people that are unsavoury characters anyway, yeah. you know, people tend to lean to say, well, it's only hurting bad people or... Yeah. So, so we've got to find a yeah. meaning factor for yeah. that. Yeah, we've had comments saying, well, it's really bad, but... Yeah, I still love him. You that's, know, and it's like I think it's Joe that's putting the chicken. So is it a bit like a romance? It is in a way. I was just going to ask know, you that. Yeah, Pamela Jones. Is a murder mystery a bit like a romance in that readers want certain things? Yes, yeah. I, I think so. And I mean, look at Tom Lee Rice in Happy Valley. I mean, he's got such a massive following. Not only because he's good looking, but, uh, but he has got such a, the, the mirror, character has. He'd know a different one if he looked in the mirror. Unless he's when, we first, when we first met him, he had dreadlocks, didn't he? Yeah, he did. <laughs> so. But, yeah, I, 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 for us, it's, it's about setting the story, setting the foundations 
to let people, you know, lift the lid and see what's there. You know, the crime scene is just, to me, is it's just a vehicle that everybody travel on. It's the characters that are involved yeah. around that. And yeah. the evidence is part of that, you know, the story and yeah. the, the condemning bit, you know, and the, the ability and to... It moves the, and it moves the story but, on, But it's it? the interaction between the characters as well. Yeah. You know, uh, some people, some murderers will tease the, the investigating officer. You know, so it's a case of what's going on and who do you want to support? You mm. know, when you look at some, mm. they don't like the investigating officer, mm. they like the villain more, and it's just, mm. who do you fall yeah. in love with, or the readers yeah. fall in love with? So yeah. it's all to play with, and I think, yeah. you know, the missed opportunity in this one was we didn't get into it. It was a disappointment. Historical crime, yeah. great, great genre, uh, but we just didn't have that something that it is straight between the eyes of Like Diana Gabaldon did yeah. oh my in the God. Outlander yeah. series. That would just... It's like, oh my God. Mind-blowing. Let me read that again. Did yeah, that yeah. just happen? Did I just read it wrong? And it's I've got to ask, one, I've got to ask you one more question. So have you ever... You can be honest because we it's just amongst friends here. Right? Yeah, no, there's um, Yeah, no. So have you ever actually got it really badly wrong in, in any of your writing and you thought, bloody hell, you know, I wanted people to feel like this. But actually, they've got far more sympathy with the the baddie, the person who's perpetrating evil, than we ever wanted them to. Has that ever happened to you? I'm going to say, well, Carol's thinking, you see, you can see her thinking. But I'm going to say no, because ultimately... Everybody's got their own views, haven't they? The investigator's going to come out on top. Right. You know, that investigator's mm. going to win. Yeah. So yeah. no matter how nice the baddie is, no matter how good-looking he is, no how charming he is, is still going to get nailed. You to can the be cross. an ugly investigator. Not if you've got <laughs> not. Barbara's nose. Know, you can always have. You can always go for the plastic mirror, surgery. Mirror on the wall, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, and your packed lunch will be sausage fingers, won't it? When things like this. But no, <laughs> joking apart. Joking apart, I think ultimately we we don't think we've got it wrong, and we've never had it, somebody say to us, "No, you've got it." Wrong. People say, "Oh, why did you kill him off?" Why did you kill mm. that character off? Yeah, yeah. But I think yeah. sometimes you've got to do, it's a, it's a bit like, you know, uh, farmers with the fields, you've got to cut the grass sometimes to bring something else in, or, yeah. you yeah. know, to swap it round. So, I didn't, we didn't mention any food in that, did we at all? I, th I think the other, the other thing that I was going to mention was, um, pigs here. Not, no. not that we, not that we've ever got it wrong, but the fact that, you know, well, we might have, um, but the fact that, um, it doesn't really matter if we've got it wrong, does it? Because at the end of the day, everybody reads things different. I mean, like we've just heard tonight, everybody has different views on everything. So, I don't think you can really get it wrong. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think if you take it personal and you think, yeah. oh, God, he says that I'm rubbish. And if an author starts thinking like that, you might as well stop writing. Yeah, <laughs> because exactly. you have got to yeah. have a thick skin, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, I think the other thing I was going to say was authenticity, authenticity, authenticity. If you're writing about a school teacher, speak to a school teacher. Get a totally. school teacher to give you a little bit of dialogue. Yeah. If, you talk, if you're writing a crime fiction, speak to a baddie, speak to a goodie, speak to a police officer. You know. Yeah. Somebody, I think Matt and Genius Room just said, if you, you know, somebody put a, a wrong detective and forgot which de detective yes. he was using in a novel. Has that ever <laughs> happened or is that a problem? Well, hopefully you read 
and we both read it through. Uh, oh, that's what your editors. And then your your agent and hopefully reads it <laughs> or bins it, one of the two. Or but then the editors come in. So you that would never happen. You know, you do when you when we we've done it when we reading through or rereading suddenly if you see a name that we changed yeah. that suddenly appears <laughs> I on think we page. have got it wrong yeah. oh really oh wait a minute we have. this is the first oh, this is a, a this minute. is an admission yeah. in the dylan oh, series stoned. you'll be stoned in the dylan series yeah. um i think it's um i think it's jen's dad was called something and then we changed it to ralph and one of our there's only one person that's ever uh, sent me a message to mm. say his his name changed. And in my and in, in my defence, it was Cyril to Ralph or something. In my like defence, who changed the name, Carol? Maybe me. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> I my case. Yo, let's not get into that now and, and parking oh, and stuff oh, oh, oh. like that. I don't I don't think we want to see this marriage. Draw here, draw here quickly. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That was that was a fascinating, fascinating insight into the way oh, you work, guys. Let's look at your numbers there, Matt. Ah, uh, that would no be because Agent B hasn't bloody voted. Can you believe <laughs> it? I mean, how long have I been doing this? It's more than a week or two, uh, isn't it? Actually, I am so sorry. Got six. You're going to be in black Ooh, and white yeah. again. Wow, I am actually all, all heavily pixelated, perhaps. Pixelated, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Yeah, Excellent. quite quite likely. Uh, that means we've got a show winner, guys. Well done, Matt. Came from behind. Lots of potential, man. Lots of potential. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, it's been very nice to see you again. Um, Bob and Carolyn Elmore are a good club, says Matt, and they are. Yeah, how nice to see you again. And you know, we've obviously just sort of got you in the in the middle of the the, the writing mode, haven't we? Because you can always tell when when writers are writing, because they're just they're just a little bit distant. You know, sometimes they're going black and white, just like me. So you're obviously yeah. right in the middle. Uh, yeah, how, you how, do. That's how it is. You, you do. You, and the rest of the world doesn't seem so real, does it? It's no. it's wonderful and and it's scary true. at the same time. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so this current thing that you're working on, can you tell us anything at all, or do you not do you not want to tempt fate? Um, well, the the new book that we're working on, mm. the yeah. new book, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a standalone, um, oh, and right. um, so yeah, so it's it's completely different. Our agent said um, I'd like a standalone, then he's changed his mind and said no, I like I think I'd like it as a series. So, oh, so I don't know. Constant <laughs> agents who change um, their minds. <laughs> Never done that. So yeah, so um, so yeah, so it's a standalone, a completely different character. The character who we we plan to be the main uh, person, Foxy, Daniel Fox, probably isn't going to actually be the main character now. Um, oh. He's probably going to be the SIO, Steve Beale. So oh. yeah, it, 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 it's. It's surreal how it evolves, isn't it, Pete? You know, it is. It totally is. Yes, you, yes. It's, it's a living it, thing. I mean, it, it, yeah, it is. And mm. really, the story is about individuals—not uh, idiosyncrasies, but addictions and problems that occur in life that take people down a certain path. And how do they get out of it? Mm. Uh, and sometimes mm. it is so so difficult. No matter what walk of life you're in, there'll be something that comes along that yeah. disturbs your pleasant you know lifestyle and it's that snap yeah. decision isn't it and whether you actually go that way or that way it's, and it's crossroads can you be trusted yeah. and can you trust your team 
Uh, it's interesting. So yeah. it's hopefully, it's hopefully, hopefully wow. our agent will love it. And if it doesn't, he may go. <laughs> we'll tell you next time. He may go. Oh, yes, I, I can't wait. I'm flashing on now. I'm like, oh my god, what's going to happen? The agent might go missing, or it could end up in black and white. Yes, or worse, yeah. actually. Oh, they, the I, just got, the I got a message from the, the producers saying that they're not very happy with everything's gone. Uh, that's me, though. They did say they're very, very happy with, with Bob and Carol and Johnny and, of course, the people who uh, populate the room, formerly known as Genius. And thank you so much, Bob and Carol, for giving us um, always. You're always so generous with your time. You always give us absolutely unfattered full access straight in there. Into your collective writer's psyche. Why not? And why not? So lovely, actually. So lovely, especially for people who are on the same path as, as you're on, which is mostly people, people who watch pop-ups. Keep writing, guys. Um, yeah. And keep watching pop-up submissions. Huh? Same time exactly. next week. It's a date. 